the way through the wilderness is difficult. The road ahead, dark. But we are not alone. Each step is set by God. And we keep to this path for a reason. We are chasing daylight. Hey, Cornerstone. Okay, that was that was a little that was that was like ASU for the first half yesterday. Yeah, just a little slow getting started there. Hey, uh, just a big shout out to uh, our Scottsdale campus to Santan. Just so thankful for you guys, and uh, we're wrapping up today a series uh, on suffering. So we've been suffering through a series on suffering together, and uh, the reason we're doing this, we're going, look, look, look. We, this is one of those conversations you need to have before you need it. Because if you haven't figured out some of these principles, if, if some of this hasn't already sunk in and become true to your heart, and then things get dark, things get confusing, God seems to be absolutely silent and making mistakes in your life. If you don't have these tools in the tool belt, then you, you are going to run your Christian life in a ditch. So to know this, to understand this, because guys, 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 guys. I guarantee you, when you're in the thick of suffering, when you're in the midst of a moment where you go, God, this is the dumbest thing you've ever done in my life. It feels dark. And you'll find yourself in a moment saying, I don't even know where to put my foot. I don't know what even the next step looks like because it just all feels dark. Hence the title, Chasing Daylight. Because if in that moment, You can have even the slightest glimpse, the slightest sense of what God might be doing in the midst of your pain, in the midst of your disappointment. That glimpse might just be enough daylight to get you through to the other end. And so we've been having this conversation. And if you've been along for the ride, uh, you've heard us talk about this idea that says, hey... Uh, sometimes God allows you and me to go through suffering because he's actually preparing us for our lives. We had this whole passage talked about, hey, if you fail to contend with footmen, how will you ever deal with horses and chariots? And this idea that sometimes God puts us through stuff now so that when the big stuff comes, we face it like champs. We go, hey, I've been here before. I've done this before. And we can get to the other side of this. We said sometimes... God is teaching you and me lessons that we would have never learned from the comfort and safety of our own couch. We would would have never learned to be like Christ in that way. We would have never surrendered that part of our lives. And we had this whole conversation about how we start out like chunks of coal and God refines us with heat and pressure and time to make us into diamonds, into the image of His Son, Jesus Christ. We had an incredible conversation with a guy named Malinga who was thrown in jail unjustly for two years. And in that moment of just absolute unfairness in his life, he turned it around and decided to minister there in the prison. And for two years, he literally won hundreds and hundreds of criminals to Jesus Christ. 
Because in the midst of his suffering, you said, maybe, maybe this is about someone seeing God in me. Today, we're going to finish up the conversation with this. Sometimes, sometimes God leverages our suffering, leverages the journey that we've gone on so that we can then speak into the lives of other people coming behind us. That with the comfort we found, we can share that comfort with other people. Matter of fact, grab your Bibles because there's an amazing passage in Scripture that really unpacks this for us. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And if you're not real familiar, if you go to the back of your Bible, start working to the left, you're going to find this book of 2 Corinthians. If you've got an iPhone, keep thumbing. You'll get there. Okay? 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Here's what it says. Watch this. Praise, <laughs> praise. This is, this is a moment to be thankful. Praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is verse 3. The Father of compassion. Tell me that when you're suffering, it feels like God is compassionate. The Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. Who comforts us in our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. He's saying, look, there's moments in our lives where God does something in my heart and in my life so that the person coming behind me can benefit from what I've learned on the journey. And I have the capacity to speak into their lives the comfort that I've found in God. Verse 5, for just as the sufferings of Christ overflow into our lives, you realize that your salvation, that every privilege you have in Christ, came at Jesus' suffering. That just as the sufferings of Christ have flowed into our lives, so also through Christ our comfort overflows into the lives of others. A couple of weeks ago, I'm... I get a phone call from a friend in ministry. We'll just call him Tim today. And Tim calls me up and says, Lynn, is there any chance uh, you could make some time? We could have a cup of coffee. And I said, sure, we'll do that. And I end up meeting him. And uh, you can tell. You can tell from the moment you walk in, something's wrong. And Tim looks at me and he says, I just got fired. I got fired from church. And, and my ministry was going so well. And I mean, I, I, I mean, everything I had touched, every assignment they had given me was going forward. I mean, it was growing. It was thriving. Lives were being changed. I don't get it. That there, this could not be more unfair. And you kind of think in church, if you're serving God, I mean, if you're doing the right thing, you would think your job would be secure. Because, Len, it just feels so wrong. I got to be honest. I mean... It feels evil. And I am so frustrated with God right now. I mean, if I can do everything right, and then this is what happened. What's the point? Somebody that know my story and know my journey, know that I was able to look at my friend in that moment and say, I get it. I totally get it. I've, I know exactly how this feels. 
And I know what it's like to think, God, you have just broken our deal. And, and you've let, you've let men who apparently don't know and are clearly not very smart fire me. I get it. I get what it feels like to want to throw in the towel because you were doing everything right and now you're getting kicked in the gut. I was also able to say to my friend, you realize this moment in my life, this moment of absolute unfairness, this moment of just God turned around, that that my next assignment in life was tenfold the ministry. And that what I figured out on the other side of this is I was so comfortable, I was so content, I was so excited about what God was doing in the lives of teenagers in my youth ministry, I would have never left. When that other church called, I would have never taken the new assignment. God had to fire me so that I was available for the next position. And I said, is it possible that God is doing that? That God's actually promoting you by firing you? You get that conversation was different because I was a pastor. That, that, it, that if... You know, If any of you who aren't in ministry had had that same conversation with my friend, it would have felt different to him. But I was able to comfort my friend with the comfort I had learned. Because I had already walked the trail. I had already been in his shoes. And sometimes, sometimes God leverages our pain... That we would then be able to speak into the lives of others. Matter of fact, we're going to have an amazing conversation today with a guy by the name of Scott Hogsett, who's actually a paralytic, paraplegic. Uh, he's uh, been in multiple Olympics. He's won multiple Olympic medals. Uh, and yet, the most incredible thing of his life is, is that he has taken a moment that none of us would have ever asked for for ourselves. Most of us would have never said, hey, God, give me that assignment. And he has turned this around and is using it to speak into the lives of other people. He is comforting them with the comfort God has given him. The remarkable thing is, uh, Scott is actually a member here at Cornerstone, attends here every single Sunday. So do me a favor, let's give a Cornerstone welcome to Scott Hogsett. Okay, so super cool. Most of these people probably wouldn't know this. You you are a multi-time Olympian uh, in a sport called wheelchair rugby. Yep. Some people call it murder ball, right? Yep. Because it's such a gentle game. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm a three-time Paralympic athlete in the sport of wheelchair rugby. Like Lynn was saying, it is also called murder ball. And uh, it's hard to promote murder ball, so we switched it to wheelchair rugby. Yeah. You know, once you break your neck and and the doctor says, uh, oh, go ahead, go play rugby now, it just doesn't, doesn't go very well. So we changed it to rugby. But, um, yeah, I uh, won a bronze medal in the 2004 Paralympics in Athens, Greece. Uh, won a... 
won a gold medal in uh, Beijing in 2008, which I actually sleep with it. Yeah. 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 That gold medal means a lot to me. Actually, I do sleep with it. it goes me, my gold medal, then my wife. Kind of. Yeah. Just Now, rumor me. has it that you painted your bronze. Yeah, medal yeah, gold. I paint it no. gold all the time. All those bronze <laughs> medals look great with gold paint on them. But, yeah. And then uh, I won uh, in London in 2012 a bronze medal there. We completely choked, but you know that happens with sports, and uh, it was kind of a bummer deal. But I've moved on, and then most recently I was inducted into the. I was actually the first Paralympic athlete to be inducted into the Arizona Sports Hall of Fame, which is yeah. very cool. Okay, and then you actually, they, they made a movie about your team yeah. uh, that was actually called Murder Ball, and then it was up for an Academy Award, yes. right? Yeah, it was up for an Academy Award. It's called Murder Ball as well, and uh, it was nominated for an Academy Award. We lost to the March of Penguins. <laughs> okay, so here's what I, I know you're in a wheelchair and all, but you lost to a penguin? Yeah, I lost to a penguin. Which, uh, if Morgan Freeman didn't narrate that movie, I swear we'd have the caveat. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we lost to a penguin. That's kind of depressing, but it was an awesome moment. You know, the movie it was my 15 minutes of fame, and it, it it's an awesome tool in the fact that we use it for as for education. It answers a lot of uh, questions about people with disabilities, and answers a lot of misconceptions that people have about people in wheelchairs and all that, and so. Go check it out. Uh, before you run and rent it, though, I want to warn you, it is rated R for locker room talk and uh, just athletes being athletes, but you'll enjoy the movie, I promise. Okay. Here. So, okay. All right. Uh, never mind. All right. You haven't even seen the movie, and you're clapping. Uh, you'll like it. All right. So here's the deal. It'd be really simple for us to kind of leap ahead and go, wow, you know, hey, how cool, and it's great how God's using you now, but dude, you've gotten here on a journey. This yeah. this has been a rocky road from there to here. And a matter of fact, uh, you started out as a young man before the whole accident. Before the, you were a pretty wild kid. You you were pretty reckless. Yeah, definitely wild, that's for sure. Uh, I got injured when I was 19. I've been in a wheelchair for 22 years. When I was a kid going uh, growing up, I had a loving family. My mom and dad, very caring and all that, but they couldn't take the wild child out of me. Uh, I, would, I made a lot of poor decisions. Uh, as the big time athlete and as well as enjoyed a lot of partying and hanging out with the women and all that, not necessarily in that order, but in it, you know, when you make enough poor decisions, it tends to catch up with you after a while. That's for sure. And it caught up with so me. So you, you were that kid, you were that high school kid, you're yeah. the jock on campus, you're going to all the parties and hanging with all the crowd that's, you know, kind of out there living right. And you, you were in the thick of that. That was your lifestyle. Yeah, I was in the thick of it, and like I said, it caught up with me at age 19. I went to an underage drinking party out on Coeur d'Alene Lake in Idaho, where I'm from. And uh, everyone was very intoxicated, and we were out on the back deck of this cabin that overlooks the lake. And I was sitting there talking with uh, everybody, and before I knew it, this kid who I grew up with, he was trying to pick a fight with me. And the next thing I know, uh, he picked me up and he threw me off the deck. And I fell 10 feet and broke my neck. And it rendered me uh, quadriplegic. Uh, I know a lot of you are thinking quadriplegic, you're thinking Christopher Reeve, but uh, 
yes, I am quadriplegic. Uh, my arms move very well, but my fingers don't work, so I have limitations in all four limbs, which makes me a quadriplegic. So here was, I thought was a little bit interesting, your story. You, this guy comes, he's trying to pick a fight with you. You're trying to ignore him. Everybody's drunk. Uh, he kind of grabs you from behind, picks you up, throws you over this railing. You fall the 10 feet. Your friends don't realize you're hurt. They just think you're passed out drunk. Yeah. So they leave you laying on the ground for several hours. Yeah, I laid there for several hours. You know, when you've got drunk friends making poor decisions, they didn't want me to freeze to death, so they decided to pick me up and take me inside, which you can only imagine what that looked like with a broken neck. So it got pretty ugly, but at the same time, you know, who knows what would have happened. I possibly would have froze to death. And six hours later, I finally made it to the hospital where they uh, told my mom... And I'll never forget this, that uh, I was broke my neck and I was going to be paralyzed the rest of my life. And I just heard this huge shriek out of her and this cry. And that's when I know, knew it was pretty serious. And uh, the doctor came in and told me, hey, you're going to be, uh, you're quadriplegic. You'll never walk again. And when someone tells you that, that's an extremely, extremely tough pill to swallow. And I went through a tough, tough time and a dark, dark moment to the point that it was scary. And, uh, you know, everyone goes through a grieving period when something like this happens. Some people never come out of it. It's just, it's that difficult. And then, uh, for me, my grieving period lasted for really, uh, for about six months. My dad actually snapped me out of it. He, he said, you know, what happened to you is pretty severe, but you have your mind, and your mind can get you through anything. So it got me thinking, and then I was like, well... I'm going to commit to this. I'm going to accept it as a challenge of a lifetime and see how far I can take it. See, every in my mind, everybody has to deal with adversity at some point in their lives. And it's how you handle that adversity that will define you. And it can either make you or it can break you. And for me, it made me into a, a gold medalist in Beijing. Okay. So. Okay. So I want to back this up a little bit. Because you're making this too easy on us. Yeah, I know. It can't be easy, especially when your entire identity as a young man is built around being an athlete, to now, in an instant, have somebody say, okay, you're a quadriplegic. Because at that moment, you're not going, oh, okay, God's in this, and he's got a great plan for me, and I'm going to make the most. That's not, that's not where you start. Wow. And and there's got there's got to be some real frustration. There's got to be some God you, you have... You have ruined it. I, I know for myself, I probably would have said in my heart, hey, you'd have been more gracious if you would have killed me yeah. than to do this. Well, that definitely goes through your mind because I mean, when you can't walk and your life is over as you know it, you're like, you tend to blame everyone around you. And I blame God. And, you know, growing up, I didn't have much of a... We Sundays was for football, family, friends, and having fun. It wasn't so much God and all that. And, but I did have my faith, and he was always in my back pocket. He was never here. He was more here. And once I broke my neck, I had a lot of questions for God, which went unanswered. And so I tend to blame him. I was like, you know, this is, this is terrible. And if you had my back, why would you let this happen to me? Which I think is normal for you to ask, you know, for anyone to ask. And so I continue to put God in my back pocket until I, and I just decide to accept it as a challenge. I'll move on and I'll see what happens. 
So when we were talking, you said, hey, Len, I, you know, I, w- I wish I could say, you know, I, everything was kind of a straight path and I just got closer to God all along the way and I, f- I would figure out more every day. But you really said, hey, no, you know, the truth is I would kind of have a season where I was with God and then I'd start backsliding and going back to some of my old habits again and then I'd make a little more headway. And one of the, you said one of your wake-up moments was a car accident. Yeah, yeah. Uh, shortly after I got out of rehab, about a year and a half after my injury, I... I decided I wanted to, well, I got my driver's license. And um, for all of you, that once you have your driver's license taken away and you lose that independence, the first thing you want to do is get it back and start driving. So I got my driver's license and I got my uh, minivan. And for all of you that don't know how someone with a disability drives, we drive with hand controls. And there's a lever next to the steering wheel that you pull down for gas and you push in for brake. I'm actually a better driver now than I was before, which isn't very good. But it's yeah, a little yeah, scary. Ask, ask, okay, ask my right. wife. You know, pretty much, if you see my black truck coming down the road, you should probably get off. But yeah, <laughs> there's only a few muscles working that lever. But uh, um, back in the day, when I was driving my minivan, the middle seat was missing, and uh, and so was the driver's seat. So I used to just drive up to the uh, the steering wheel, and I had a lockdown system that would lock me down, and uh, so one day I drove to meet my mom, and she's like, hey, let's go shopping. And I was living in Spokane at the time, and uh, we went, decided to go downtown to go shopping. And she was following me in 5 o'clock traffic. And so I roll up, I get my lockdown system, I back out, we're driving down the road, and all of a sudden uh, we pull up to the stoplight, and stop, and then I give it some gas, and I hear click, click. I'm like, I look down, and I go, oh boy, that's not good. My lockdown system actually released me, and when I gave it gas, I rolled all the way to the back of my van and kept going. Yeah. So so everyone gets it. You'd already pushed the throttle forward. It's still forward. Yeah. You now have rolled all the way to the back of your van, and it is driving. Yeah. It's like I was at a drive-in movie theater, and everything was just happening in front of me, and I'm like, oh, boy. (laughs) And uh, so my car actually jumped the curb, and it went through three yards in a fence, and it ended up in a telephone pole, and the ironic thing is I was back in my lockdown system stuck and I couldn't get out. And, yeah, God has a sense of humor, that's for sure. But I wasn't injured, and I realized that I wasn't made of glass, and I was ready to move on with my life. Hmm. And the thing is that I was starting to fall into some more bad, my old bad habits. And so within a few months, I picked up and left uh, Spokane, Washington for Phoenix, Arizona, where my life took off. Hmm. Yeah. Now... Uh, you and I were talking, and you said, you know, Lynn, here's the thing that's a little bit ironic, is that God may have actually been gracious to me in putting me in a wheelchair, because if I stop and consider where my life was headed, the trajectory I was on, I probably was headed for more trouble than this. Yeah, you know, I, I was making a lot of poor decisions, and honestly, like, I was... Probably going to either end up in jail or possibly even dead. That's how wild I was. And and for me, back then, and looking back and everything that I've accomplished now, I've realized that oh, God had a path, and this is the path that he wanted me to take. And I'm a peer mentor at St. Joseph's Hospital. For the last 18 years, I've been down there working with somewhere between three to 500 patients and, and helping them transition into their new lives as quadriplegics and letting them know what's available uh, and letting them know that they can live a normal, active life. And for me, you know, that that's kind of shows me 
and everything I've accomplished, as well as the setbacks too, that I'm on the right path and God has me going in the right direction. Yeah. Hey, um, talk to us about figuring out God, because this has been a journey for you. Talk to us about kind of how God has become real in your life and how that happened. Uh, it happened about eight years ago. Uh, my wife actually came to me and said, hey, let's go check out this church, Cornerstone. And I was a little reluctant because God was my back pocket. And so she kind of, in my mind, drugged me to church. She actually wheeled you to church. Yeah, wheeled me. Whatever. She got me to church, <laughs> and I heard one of Lynn's awesome uh, sermons. And, you know, I bought into it right away. And then I started putting two and two together and reflecting on everything I had accomplished, my long career, my setbacks too, because honestly you got to have setbacks in order to grow, to get stronger, in order to move forward to the next challenges you'll have in life. And so after putting that all together, I started to realize that, yes, this is exactly what God wanted me to be doing. Hmm. Okay, so you were telling me about this idea that said, you took the challenge that said, all right, this is kind of the assignment God's given me. wouldn't have been what I would have chosen for myself, but I'm going to do my best to live this to the fullest. And one of the stories you told me about living this thing to the fullest was bungee jumping. So tell us about that story because it's pretty good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I decided to go bungee jumping with uh, my USA wheelchair rugby team. We did it as like a bonding thing for the team. I wish I, wish I could take that back. But uh, yeah, we were in New Zealand and that's where bungee jumping actually originated. We decided to uh, jump off the Kwaru Bridge in, uh, I think it's in Queenstown, New Zealand. And it's about a 430-foot drop off of a bridge. And I went with two of my closest friends and I actually went last, which was another poor decision on my part, big dummy. But uh, so we get out there and the way it works is you kind of scoot out on this plank and they have a harness around our waist and uh, my buddies went first and they bailed off. And there's glacier water rushing underneath and... It's kind of cool. You just fall and you boing across the water and then they pull you to the side and then they haul you out of there. Well, my two buddies went and everything went nice and smooth and I get out there on the plank and I'm, I'm scared to death. You know, I'm out there and they're doing the countdown to 10 and I'm like, no, I'm not ready. And they're like, all right, you gotta go. I'm like, no. And so finally I, I, I was like, either I gotta bail off of here or I gotta freeze to death. So I finally bailed off and I'm, I'm free falling. I'm like, wow, this is really cool. This is awesome, and I'm going faster and faster. I'm like, wow, that water's getting pretty close. So I'm still going, still going, and all of a sudden I shot into that water like a rocket. Yeah. So I'm underwater. (laughs) I'm underwater, and I'm trying to, I'm like, wow, my buddies didn't do this. (laughs) So I shot out of the water. And all I can think, my eyes are so wide open, and all I can think about is I'm going to go right back in that water, which I did. And so I look over to my buddies who had jumped before me, and they yell at me. They're like, they're like, hey, Hogsett, how does it feel that $50 controls your life? I'm like, 50, they had actually paid the, the guys an extra 50 bucks to put the longer harness on me, so I shoot the water. <laughs> yeah. Great friends, huh? Yeah. Makes for a great story. That's for sure. <laughs> Okay, so here's the part I think is totally cool. You've taken what God has done in your life, which, let's just be honest, is is something that none of us would have probably ever chosen. And yet you've leveraged this to something that's incredibly powerful. 
And you've been going to St. Joseph's Hospital. You've been going to other paraplegics. You've been able to say to them, hey, I know. Yeah. I know. And let me tell you where daylight is. Talk to us about this ministry that God's given you. Uh, you know, for me, going, I feel like I've got to give back. You've you got to give back in a situation like this because when you become quadriplegic, who are you going to learn from? The only person you're going to learn from is someone walking in your shoes. So when I go into the rehabs and I work with the patients, a lot of people call me the ambulance chaser because, you know, I'm, as soon as these guys break their necks, I'm right at the hospital. But I know how important it is for them to learn and to get them out, get them active, and get them living life and not watching life from the sidelines. And get them involved in whatever they like to do, whether it's rugby, whether it's whatever, life. And so they, it's good for them to hear it because, honestly, it's a tough pill to swallow that you're never going to walk again. But when someone like myself comes through the door and I'm the light at the end of the tunnel, they're very excited. Hmm. Here's what I think is so powerful about that, Scott, is that if I go, if I go and I say to that paraplegic, hey, uh, I feel for you and, and it's going to be okay. They're going to go, okay, you're, you're doing pastor speak to me. But when Scott Hogsett goes, an Olympian, yeah. and says, I know what this feels like, and I know where daylight is, yep. and I can help you get, that's a whole different conversation. Yeah, it really is. And I mean, for them to see someone walking in their shoes, and, and not to toot my own horn, but what I've accomplished, it gives them hope that, hey, one day... I can do that. I can accomplish what exa- what he's accomplished and let them know that there's so much more to do and then really than what this disability what than what their disability allows them to do. Scott, I just I want to speak honor on you. Thank you. Thank you for modeling this so well in front of us. Thank you for leveraging this into God. I don't know. I don't know what you think when you hear a story like that. But I'm, I'm just going to tell you what I think. When I hear a malinga who goes and spends two years in jail unjustly and finds a way to turn that and leverage that for hundreds of men to come to know Christ, when when I hear a Scott Hogsett, who let's just be honest, there's not a one of us in this room who'd want that assignment, and says, "I'm going to turn this." I, I'm going to use this for the glory of God in my life. Then all of a sudden I go, you know what? If those guys can do it, I mean, if they can do that, then 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 the thing that I'm facing, I, I can do this. I, I mean, me losing a job or me struggling through a health issue or me having to go through kids that are... I, I can do this for the glory of God if they can do what they've done. And suddenly I'm comforted with their comfort. Here's the deal. I know. I know there are some people in this room and you're up to your eyeballs in struggling. And you're going, Lynn, I... It's really kind of nice that you talk about how, hey, this is preparing me for something better in the future. And it's kind of cool that you bring me the testimonies. But it doesn't change 
how absolutely unfair and absolutely how dark this moment feels in my life. And I'm just telling you, it stinks. And I'm just trying to find a little glimmer of daylight. And I get it. I get it. And the reality is I can't. I can't ask you to understand it right now. I can't ask you to go, hey, I've got this whole thing figured. Because you don't have this whole thing figured out. The reality is where you're at right now in this moment, you've really only got two options. And it all revolves around this decision. Which direction are you going to lean? See, the reality is in this moment that is so unfair and so dark and so painful, you're either going to say, look, I am so deeply frustrated with God and I'm so angry that he would allow this moment to happen in my life. And you can push him away and you can say, God, no, you go sit on the sidelines. I'm going to, I'm just going to do this the best I can by myself because thanks a lot for what you've done so far. And I'm just, I'm just going to do this alone. The problem with alone is that you're alone. The other option, the other option is to say, God, I, I don't get it. And I hate it. And I would have never chosen this. But I'm going to decide, I'm, I'm going to choose in this moment in my life to lean in. To say, look God, I know I can't handle this by myself. I know I can't get it to a good end by myself. And so even though I, it just feels so horrible, and even though right now it feels like you're so distant and that you've lost control, I'm going to decide to lean in and hope you can make something out of this moment. In my life, there's an amazing passage in scripture about leaning in. Matter of fact, grab your Bibles and you're going to want to turn here, guys. You're going to want to see this moment. It's in the book of Psalms. And if you're not real familiar, if you go to the very middle of your Bible, you're probably going to find this book of Psalms. It's Psalms chapter 13. And while you're going there, Psalm chapter 13, let me give you a little bit of background. This is a psalm, this is a moment in the life of David. And this is before he's made any of his mistakes. He's able to stand in this moment and say, God, I have served you. This is before Bathsheba and all of that goes on. This is a young man saying, God, I have been faithful to you. I have served you. I've done exactly what's right. And the problem is you're not helping. He's in the midst of running away from Saul. Saul has found out that David's going to be the next king. Saul hates the answer. So Saul has set out to kill this innocent man. And David has lived the last several years of his life as a fugitive on the run, having done nothing wrong. And he basically says, God, I'm sick. And I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. And this stinks. And in the middle of his complaint, in the middle of him just saying, God, I, I hate the assignment you've given me right now. He makes a decision to lean in, to say, God, I don't get it. I don't understand it, but I'm going to choose which direction to lean right now. Here it is. It's a super cool passage. It's Psalms chapter 13. Watch this. Here you go. How long, O Lord? 
Will you forget me forever? Because it sure feels like you're absent. How long will you hide your face from me? Because I've been praying. How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer me. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. You get what David's saying? I am so worn out with this. It feels like closing my eyes in death would be a relief. My enemy will say I have overcome him. My foes will rejoice when I fall. And then watch what he does. Because this is big. But I will trust Not because it feels good. Not because my heart is ready to. Because I need to. I will trust in your unfailing love. I will trust that you have not forgotten me. That you have not left me. My heart rejoices in your salvation. God, look, you better show up and you better fix this. You better save the day. I will sing to the Lord, for he has been good to me. Not right now, but in my past. You get the moment. That in this moment, David just says, look, I've I've got a choice to make, and I'm either going to lean into my own strength, and I'm going to leave God out of this, or I'm going to lean in as hard as that feels. And I simply, ready for this? I simply choose to trust in his unfailing love, which simply means this. I trust that he is still here with me, even though it doesn't feel like it. That he has not left me alone, and he has not abandoned me, and he's still watching over me. And I trust, you ready, that he's not wasting my pain. I trust that this isn't for naught, and this isn't senseless, and that God is actually doing something in this horrible moment in my life. I choose to trust that. I'm going to lean. Here's what I know. I know that in this room there are a whole bunch of people. And you're right there. You are up to your eyeballs. And you're going, man, I absolutely hate this moment. And Lynn, I'll just be honest with you. I'm not ready for God's teaching me things and I'm not ready for this thing turns out all right. I know. So choose which way you're going to lean. It's all you can do from here is lean. And here's what I want to ask us to consider doing today. That if you're in this room, if you're at our Santan campus or if you're at our Scottsdale campus, And life's not working too well right now. And it's rough. And you would say, hey, you know what, Lynn? It's hard right now. And prayer would be a good thing for me. Prayer would be helpful. And prayer would be appreciated. I'm just going to ask you to stand. I know this is different than what you normally do. But I'm going to ask you to stand and say, Lynn, you know what? It's rough right now. I would appreciate prayer. And I was going to ask you to stand up right where you're at. Say, that's what I need in my life. I need some prayer because I need to do this next part.
leaning. Thank you. Thank you. Hmm. Thank you. Hmm. We had no idea, did we? We didn't know there were this many people in our congregation that were hurting right now. We had no idea. Here's what I want to ask us to do. Here at Chandler, at Santana, at Scottsdale, I want the rest of us to stand. As just a sign of saying, hey, we're standing with you. Because that's what family does, right? If we had known... And I'm going to ask you to stretch your hand out towards somebody that you saw stand a few moments ago. Just as a way of saying, hey, I'm, I'm with you. I'm going to pray for you. I, we're on the same team here. You don't have to do this by yourself. So I'm going to ask you to stretch your hand towards someone you saw. And then I'm going to pray. You ready? Here we go. Dear Lord Jesus. We're, we're going to be as honest as David. And simply say to you, this stinks. We, we would have never chosen this assignment. This would have never been our plan. And we're going to simply do what David did. In this moment, we're going to choose. Not because it feels good and not because our hearts want to, but because it's what we have to do. We're going to lean into you. And we're going to trust in your unfailing love. We're going to trust that you have not abandoned us and that you have not left us here alone. That you're still watching over us like a father watches over a child. We're going to trust that you're not wasting any of our pain. That somehow this turns out, somehow this gets leveraged to your glory and praise and that somehow... Years from now, we'll look back and say, wow, God was so alive in my pain. But right now, right now, we just need some courage. And right now, we need simply enough strength to lean. So that's our prayer. God, give us that. Give us, give us just enough assurance of your presence. Give us just enough strength in our hearts to lean into you right now. In Jesus' precious name, amen.